Welcome back, everyone, to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, joined by Tim Cutler as poor old Daniel Beswick's snowed under once again with Women's World Cup work. Tim, how's it going over in Port Vila? Congratulations are in order. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nicholas. It was, uh, you know, we're recording this late on Thursday, but um, last night, well, yes, today was, was, was great, you know, talked about lockdown and whatnot in Vanuatu and the, the golf course opened for might be all of one day before being shut down again it just <laughs> happened to be on my birthday so uh, I took that annual leave ticket and got out there with a couple of mates and we had a socially distanced round during the day I didn't play too well but that is irrelevant in a day like that and lockdown still in place uh, meaning no big gatherings but I get home to a sumptuous feast Japanese feast from our favorite restaurant that uh, Charlotte's organized to, to get in there so that was great and then I have a laptop put in front of me first there's nine minutes of video of friends and family from around the world saying happy birthday and then then a zoom call with about 25 people from north carolina to dublin <laughs> um which was just amazing and even more amazing considering you know i met charlotte here in vanuatu she's not met any of my friends outside of vanuatu and she had to go stalking my friend list on facebook <laughs> to contact people to, to line them up to send videos and also to be part of the zoom call so look i, I love her but i'm not sure if i'd go to that there's there's a real risk of contacting wrong people there that you know <laughs> there um that you know you, you you've met a couple of times you become friends or you know or exes or people that you just sort of haven't spoken to a long time you, you, you never so oh it's just gobsmacking really was i was just above and beyond I, I definitely felt loved and i feel loved and i was a really good good evening um and yeah so back at it today but uh yeah 40 over the hill nicholas <laughs> well you're counting down your days to a vanuatu eligibility right <laughs> uh, i don't know what you're talking about talk to me in two and a half years but i'm a bit special Special shout out, I mentioned North Carolina and as great it was to see everyone, like Jeremy Bray was walking from training session to training session at that end of the spectrum at sort of nine o'clock in the morning in Dublin. But our own Nate Hayes, our stateside representative, slept on the couch the night before, <laughs> set his alarm for, I'm guessing, 4.45 a.m. because, you know, the call started at 5 a.m. his time. So there he is, he's in his wife's car in the garage <laughs> on this call so he wouldn't wake up the household you know he and tammy have uh, two young daughters and, and uh it was just immense and he was i put him on the on the spot a number of times for him to explain how he ended up in the room with everyone you know his cricket story etc but oh look that that is commitment to the cause so much love nate and and everyone who was part of it so but yes counting down the days nicholas uh, <laughs> i don't know if i keep losing weight my knee keeps working i'll just you know I'll keep bowling. You never know what can happen. Just uh, just have to make sure I get myself off the selection panel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know you uh, you only just missed out on Hong Kong eligibility. Uh, that was that was very sad. You you could have been a dual international for two <laughs> for two Asian countries. Well, I I was eligible. I just by that stage I just working so much that I wasn't playing as much and not in the, the best condition to, to do it. So I was eligible, but I'm not sure anyone else has been CEO of Two Associates. Can you imagine? CEO, <laughs> passport player, passport player, you know. So just, I, I traipse around taking CEO posts and taking young spinners places. <laughs> anyway, that's enough about me. This is, like, we don't have a guest, so but it's not going to be all about me. Nicholas, how have you been? Oh, all right. Just, uh, you know, life in Gosford goes on in a, in a very, um, not very interesting way. Um, but uh, yeah, a bit disappointed. I was just thinking, you know, 
last year this time we were thinking maybe we'd all be able to get to Vanuatu by now um, but uh, yeah unfortunately Omicron had other plans so maybe maybe the 41st will be the one mm. maybe <sighs> yeah I was thinking about that today thinking you know it's that kind of day after feeling it's like on a high and then you think oh I feel weird after having such a great day of then saying oh by the way everyone we're gonna have a party like you didn't commit enough <laughs> to last <laughs> year so we're gonna ask you to go again but uh, so many people in the same boat that just must be like now that I've kind of been through it and a big birthday during during lockdown, I can just see why so many people are sort of chomping at the bit to be able to travel and and see each other. But there are bigger things to worry about in the world than some cricket nerds' fortieth birthday and everyone to be there. So, but yes, he's hoping sometime soon if there's a chance to be. during the World Cup. I know that you're still dirty about not travelling to Dubai for the World Cup qualifiers in 2019. If there's a chance to meet up around the World Cup or. A, World Cup League Two leg PNG would be great, but obviously they've got their own challenges. But we shall see. We should. We could almost just have like a, a emerging cricket world meetup where we just sort of say, "This is where we're going to be at this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And let's see see who can make it. But invariably, it's probably going to end up being somewhere near England, you know, because that's where a lot of our contributors are. So, oh. anyway, moving on. There's been a lot of cricket that's happened in the last week, Nicholas. Yes. Yeah, well, we can start off uh, with a review of the recently concluded Tri-Series in the UAE, where the hosts were taking on Nepal and PNG. Uh, I'll just quickly run through the results. So, in the first match, PNG posted 176 for 8, which the UAE chased down with 7 wickets in hand in the 45th over. Second match, PNG uh, contrived to lose a very close game against Nepal. Mm. Posted 8 for 204 and Nepal just scraped over the line uh, with, with 208. Oh, that was a heartbreaker, wasn't it? You know, Karen KC doing Karen KC things. Yes, Karen KC. Well, I know we're going to talk about it, but wow, I think there were, <laughs> there were tears everywhere. Watch this. Come on, they're going to do it. They're going to do it or not. Yeah, anyway. it was got over the line with four balls to spare and, and two wickets in hand. Uh, third match... UAE got one over Nepal by 48 runs after posting a pretty subpar total of 168. And then uh, Nepal just uh, imploded, as they sometimes do, for 120. Fourth match, PNG finally on the board in League 2. Bowled out the UAE for 147 uh, and then got got past the total pretty comfortably in the 37th over with six wickets in hand. Asad Vala not out uh, in the chase. Uh, fifth match, UAE beat Nepal comprehensively, posted nine for 202 in their 50 overs, and Nepal bowled out for 103. And then the last match, PNG, back to their uh, old ways, posted 173 uh, for eight wickets, and Nepal got past that in 37 overs with seven wickets in hand. So in total, UAE ended up with three wins out of four matches, PNG with one win out of four matches, and Nepal... Still with a 50-50 win-loss ratio, um, they, they won two and lost two. Uh, so the points table's kind of not really changed much. You know, PNG still at the bottom, UAE still chasing uh, Oman kind of towards the top, and Nepal haven't played that many matches, but sitting there on um, on 12 points just behind Namibia and the USA. Yeah, it's always funny when you have these chats with a tri-series in front of us and think what, what effect we'll have on the table, and, and here it, it really hasn't had huge effects. But I think, as you mentioned, Nepal now six win six losses. And Namibia is similar with seven and seven. You can start seeing a, a pattern to emerge, and, and really it's 
probably better to look at the win and loss ratio rather than looking at the points table. You know, we mentioned before Oman have played 28 matches and Nepal have played 12, but there's only so many teams that have, you know, a better win-loss ratio or those that don't. You know, USA, seven wins, nine losses, probably have them second last on the table when you when all told. And where Scotland are probably close to the top after only having played 12 matches. But yes, very happy to see PNG finally win there. And it's too too obvious not to mention you know we've talked about the woes about them batting first and kind of limping towards you know late hundreds maybe to 200 and just not having the firepower to to knock teams off um nasana picano still hasn't made an appearance for them we're not quite sure what has happened there i think there's been a bit of a chat sort of offline about that you know i think we would see him as one of png's better bowlers i'm not sure whether it's a form problem or a or a health issue but uae won the toss and batted and I think it's almost, I don't know whether the fact that PNG had a target in mind and the, and the fact that they got there, but for, to bowl UAE out for 147, but then PNG are 150 for four off 36 overs, not dissimilar to other positions that they've been in, but they just happened to be, be chasing. But felt really happy for Asad Vala and team. You know, it doesn't matter, or any team that you, that you see playing, whether you like them or, or not. And as much as we love PNG, to see a team go for that long, I was impressed with how little they celebrated it. <laughs> Because there would, you can imagine there'd be a lot of pent-up emotion ready to spill out. And, and not only because it was at the ground where they were able to celebrate their qualification for the men's T20 World Cup. Uh, back in 2019, if you remember, we saw them celebrate up in the box when they were watching the Netherlands final game. Which, which meant that PNG were the first team to go through because they went through top of their group. And, you know, that was amazing to see. And then they, there they are back at, at uh, Dubai Stadium. But... I think as great as that was, we just saw the same patterns emerging with PNG, didn't we, Nick? That we're not seeing any any young players come come through. They're struggling at the top. With it. Tony Uber has really lost that killer punch that he that he's had to really take attacks on and be scoring it better than a runner ball and allowing Asad Vala to come in after that and really consolidate and keep building the pulling the pressure on. Wickets are going early. Legacy Aka is still inconsistent. I think really exasperating. I think those of us that know how much talent he has, but just not able to turn it into match winning innings and all the pressure comes onto the skipper. Is that how you're seeing it? Yeah, I mean like we said last week, you know, PNG just keep kind of they're in the same rut again and again and I mean Legacy Aka I don't know if you were still with uh, Hong Kong when he hit that amazing century against them but um, you know he he looked so good and then he just keeps getting out and and it's just a repeating you know recurring pattern and you know I know I know Bez loves Chad Soper we all love Chaddy but he just shows what a decent technique and the right mentality can do you know he I mean, he's a quality cricketer and he, he plays at a decent standard in, in Australian grade cricket but I mean, I would definitely say that Siaka and Yura have more natural ability with the bat, but Chad just applies himself. And, it, you, you know, you can see just having a bit of discipline and a temperament and a, an intuitive kind of grasp of, of 50 over cricket, which, you know, they don't play a lot of 50 over cricket in PNG domestically. So that probably doesn't help. Um, and I guess the elite coaching maybe isn't quite there for, for really good talent like Siaka and Yura and yeah it's just sort of a, a wasted I don't know imagine if they had been able to kick on and, and PNG had that kind of engine room of, of uh, a, yeah, a more consistent Siaka more consistent Yura and Asad Vala as a you know anchor there because it's the same old story you know Vala in the middle order no one's supporting him CJ Mini batted all right a couple of times also kept getting out stupidly this is the thing you know the, these guys are all 
they they have the shots, they have the talent, but they just I don't know if it's discipline, I don't know if it's mm. concentration, I don't, I don't know what it is, but they they just keep getting out in in you know pretty unconvincing ways, and <laughs> the, all their scores are in that you know one one seventy to two hundred range, and it's just not really good enough, and you know. We've seen the results. It's been over a thousand days since they won an ODI, and that was way back in 2019 against the USA, and on the last day of uh, World Cricket League Two, when they they just reclaimed ODI status, and I guess things were looking a lot more rosy back then. Um, and you know, with hindsight, I mean, obviously I'm I'm biased here, but I think Canada probably would have done a lot better than PNG have in Cricket World Cup League Two. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. But then again, Canada have certainly had their issues over the last little while. So, maybe we would be lamenting a thousand days without a Canadian victory. So, who knows? Well, what we are lamenting is the potential loss of Canadian players to Major League Cricket. You know, with little birdies saying that it sounds like Nitish Kumar is going to be confirmed as as an MLC player. And the difference between funding between Challenge League and, and World Cup League 2 is about half a million dollars a year so you don't know how that would have been utilized by say a cricket canada to retain their best players and i guess from my point of view as well it was only you know hong kong started really well beating canada in world cricket league two and just didn't have the medal really at the at the important times that, that that tournament and i guess it's easy now to look at a team that's only won one of you know 10 plus odis in the competition to say that other teams would do better but that was the point of world cricket league two wasn't it it was png that that was able to come through in that event but no, I really agree with what you're saying about that Chad Soper. It reminds me of... It was definitely him writing it because I think he might have actually mentioned in his book when Merv talked about, you know, Merv Hughes, how when he was younger, there were so many kids that were better than him, but he was the one who applied himself more. And, and it just shows the difference of the way that Chad approaches the game with bat and ball. And also that consistent experience that he has playing grade cricket week in, week out. And, you know, while Cricket PNG do have the 50-over the elite tournament, they just shows that where they're at the moment with their development they can only get so much out of playing against each other in home conditions and that's where you know me seeing Vanuatu can attest to it the, the tyranny of distance and the cost it, it is to, to move people backwards and forwards between countries to try and play against each other is a huge challenge but just on top of that that's a normal a normal week a normal year you know you might you know png in the past the men's team have gone down and played in the south australian premier league and, and won it and I, and I believe they're also trying to get to darwin for some for some top end uh, cricket experience there but if you're not able to travel as freely as you were like these things are happening and maybe it's only because we're seeing more of png a country that's been more affected by covid than most in the emerging world or at least at the pointy end that we're seeing the, the effect that that's had however it doesn't still answer that question that we've asked about you know who's coming through um you know we know why their under 19s didn't go to the two under 19 world cups ago but then they went to the most recent one but then it showed how little match practice they've had and, and then they get the results they have so we're not seeing the best of png and i think it'd be unfair for us to to really be pointing a lot of fingers saying well what are you doing about younger players coming through but we can only hope that we start to see some of those players in the squad whether it's touring or starting to get picked in these in these teams because as important as odi rankings are as we we know that they are now as opposed to the super league for qualification for the world cup you know that the, the positions in in league two are very important because it determines promotion relegation as far as we know anyway or spots in the world cup qualify but you know let's be honest that it's gone for png they're playing for pride in in the case that you know they're going to be playing in the in the world cup qualifier playoff no matter what you know assuming that the, the structure stays the same so this is actually a chance and obviously they've got to get through this world cup qualifier for the t20 format which will be in july but 
from that, and that's whether they make it or not, we take talk about the time after it, there's a real chance for them to rebuild into the next cycle to perhaps blood some new talent at the ODI level because, you know, if they don't do it now, it, we're going to get very close into a situation when they're playing do or die cricket in a World Cup qualifier playoff, which is the, the top two teams in the Challenge Leagues, A and B, playing against uh, the bottom uh, four teams in League uh, 2, uh, for the final two spots in the World Cup qualifier, but positions in that tournament will also determine what teams stay up and what ones go down in the old league structure of League League Two and the, and the Challenge League. But again, we don't know what future structures are going to look like there anyway. But I know we talk about about PNG a lot, but I think it's only because we will, we want to see that next generation come through and and just take the pressure off the the shoulders of Asad Bala. We talk about. We talk about Ahmed Raza being the, the oldest 33-year-old in, in world cricket, but uh, Asad Vala is not far off there about having the weight of the world on his shoulders. You know, if Asad doesn't doesn't score 50-plus, you know, we know that PNG are really struggling. That's been the problem for, well, I mean, almost as long as they've been in League 2, really, is that if Asad Vala doesn't score runs, and sometimes even if he does score runs, they, they've got no chance. Shall we talk about UAE? Talking about, um, you know, being tired, maybe... Uh, they, I think they held up pretty well. You know, the marathon stretch of eight ODIs played in a span of 15 days, which is probably the most uh, of, of any team that I can think of, in, at least in recent times. They did look a bit flat in that match against PNG, uh, especially towards the end of the chase. They, it sort of, they gave the impression that they'd, they'd stopped trying. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were still trying, but you know, they'd definitely taken their foot off the pedal and uh, PNG certainly cruised home. But uh, Rohan Mustafa, I think, has, was the hero of this series for them. Scored a number of um, very valuable knocks coming in down down the order, sort of five, six, seven, uh, some, some rearguard efforts against PNG in that match. He scored 88 out of the team total of 147 and partnership for the, I think it was for the ninth wicket, it was um, basically where most of their runs came from. PNG had them sort of five for 30 or so. Almost let them get away a bit with, with Rohan Mustafa, uh, yeah, reviving things. And um, he, he bowled pretty well as well, but it, it was uh, it was a series for him with the bat. I mean, looking looking at their results, they'd be pretty happy with three out of four. Uh, they maybe would have thought they would have dropped one against Nepal and got two against PNG, but you know, it's all, all the same points on the board. Yeah, I think every time we talk about Rohan Mustafa, apart from his brand new hair, which I've got to acknowledge. <laughs> so it, yeah, well, he was covering it up with the backwards cap. I don't know why he was doing that. Be proud well, of it. Well, yeah, I think reading about sort of Shane Warne, as you know, so much has been written about him lately in the two million bucks he got for doing I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And what part of the deal was that his advanced hair studio person could fly in every two weeks for his treatment. <laughs> uh, perhaps, perhaps Ronnie Mustafa requires sort of upkeep there that maybe with so much cricket that they've been playing, he hasn't been able to. And that's why we've seen it with a hat on. But um, look, as a, as a balding man who's just turned 40, I look at it and think, hmm, could I get away with that? With the, the new flowing locks of, of Ronnie Mustafa. <laughs> but um, oh, he's, he's just such a great player. Um, and I know he, he niggles, niggles, niggles on the field. But as we talk about, you know, he's, he's one of the first names you've got on a team sheet. If you're, if you're picking uh, an associate, definitely an ODI team. I think kind of now with the T20 talent that's out there, you might be yummy But he can bat from, like, as you said, he came in and, and, and rescued that innings. But, you know, it was, it was already pretty far gone. But he, he brought it back from, the, from real embarrassment. And we don't know how important net run rate will be at the mm, end here either. So to be able to pull that back, that yeah, that could have been a lot worse. No, really impressive. And exactly as you said, look, if we 
It was interesting the fact the first series against Oman Namibia was all about Wazim, uh, Aravind and Co. It was interesting to see that despite Aravind's young age, and I think I must have put the mocker on him by saying he's my new favourite cricketer, just interesting to see as he, the old fella, the veteran in Mustafa come through when the, the going got, got really tough. And I'm talking, you know, it's Middle East heat, long days. And it was interesting he, he talked about how they, they really look flat, that game against a PNG attack when they were kind of chasing down the runs. And I guess it's a little understandable, if not still very annoying, if you look at it from a, from a captain's point of view. So I should never never show that you're feeling like that because you're giving your your opposition extra fuel there. What are you in charge of? Body language is one of the things that you're in charge of. But it reminded me of what Namibia looked like against UAE when they scored, you know, 300 and whatever it was when they got to. But that was Namibia only in the middle of a, you know, their own format series and and then they were leaving. So I think UAE did really well to get through the series like they could because I think in that sort of middle zone, as we've talked about, it's really going to be critical. Those clutch matches that they can get up for and and like they did, the one that they got home against Nepal, I think that just shows a lot about the, the character of the UAE team. Yeah, and uh, a couple of other stories. Basil Hamid uh, was in the wickets again for UAE. I don't know. This is something I, I, I guess you can be the spin expert here. Does does he do something that I'm missing? Because to me, he just looks like a bog standard off spinner. I mean, puts it in good areas, but I, I don't I don't see why he's he's been picking up so many wickets recently, other than I guess just sort of disciplined lines. Yeah, and when you're playing on, on these type of wickets as well, and the interesting you see them move from two games at Sharjah where PNG batted twice and sort of only kind of limped towards just over 201 and under on the next one. We didn't get a chance to see whether it was similar to the, the deck that we saw with Namibia and Oman over there. Subtle variation at that level. If, you, if you've got a guy who doesn't necessarily spin a lot, but it kind of just moves enough. You know, we're talking kind of centimetres that sometimes you've, you've got to play almost two lines. And if you're bowling at a, at a good enough pace at that, it's, it's really tough. And unless you've got batters out there that are really good on the sweep and can get down early and a re- reverse sweep really well to take that spin out of it, I, I think you can see someone do really well like he did. I don't think we saw anyone really take to him um, and, and, and use their feet well. I, don't, I think that's something that we're probably seeing less and less of. It's more of the more sweeping rather than people really getting down and getting, getting to the pitch a- against him. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, so, it's somewhat frustrating. You, you go through your career trying to turn it and you've got a guy that comes out there who's looking like he's not. <laughs> but, you know, accuracy and having your field set and frustrating batters in, in a limited over format is half the battle. If you're making your opposite number change their game then you're already winning and I think that's that's what he does because he bowls so so accurately a bit like Tim May at the other end to Shane Warne I know that Shane Warne bowled talking about Warne twice here on the mind but you know Warm bold with great control or like a finger spinner but you know Tim May was at the other end in that early parts of his career just on that same spot and, and creating pressure that way so well, at, the, at this level as well you know they've got to be looking at the bowlers and thinking who can we take down and sometimes if you're targeted that's a huge advantage because you know the advantage is on you if they see you as someone they're gonna have to try and take down because the other the other bowlers are a lot more accurate then it also brings you into the game as well yeah picked up four wicket hauls against png and nepal uh just looking at nepal's performances here Mm. uh we we talk about png being in stuck in the same kind of rut as ever it's a similar story uh so they're batting just uh after showing some bright spots towards the end of last year seems to have regressed a bit into their kind of you know imploding selves where you know bowled out for 103 and 120 versus the UAE with Basil Hamid as I mentioned and and Junaid Siddiqui cutting through them both times you know not a whole lot to write home about on the batting side of things Rohit Patel was okay Arif Sheikh was okay but 
there's just not enough consistent performances. Even though there is a lot of talent in in that batting lineup, they they just haven't shown it all. You know, all coming together at the same time, I guess. And I guess on the other side, the, on the bowling side of the ledger, Sonpao Kami was back and he topped the wicket tally for the for the whole tri series with eleven wickets, um, and and he certainly made a big difference to their bowling lineup. Him and Karan Kasi, Karan with the uh, with the bat perhaps against PNG as well, make quite a difference in that seam attack. It, it suddenly looks a bit more a bit more solid, a bit more threatening than their. Um, I think you described it as pop gun in the T uh, twenty. Uh, qualifiers that were played last month when Sompal and Keran were, were both missing for injury reasons. So, uh, yeah, their, their bowling lineup certainly looked a bit better, but the batting just couldn't back it up. Kind of, uh, you know, Nepal doing Nepal things, I guess. Um, and as a kind of related question, where do they get that next kind of generation of seam bowlers? Because both, you know, obviously Sompal and Keran have been around the team for a little while now. Yeah, and I think we asked the question, you know, which Nepal was going to turn up, and I think we had various versions of Nepal turn up, which was, uh, which was, you know, I hate to say we were right, but we were right, and it's also the the change that we seem to see happening in a for them a four match series to drop an opener mid series and then bring him back, you know, that that creates uncertainty uh, amongst the batting order, and I'm trying not to go by what people tweet about, but. You know, when you've got a wicket, you know, wicket keeper change during the series, we got people moving up and down the order. You know, a lot of pressure seems to be coming more and more on Dependra Singh Iri, and I just, I just haven't seen enough consistency from him to think that we can be building a batting order around him, where we don't seem to be. I say we as like as we as cricket watchers, and then you kind of look down the order and you see, well, Kami and and Karen KC, you think, oh, they'll they'll be able to pull us out of trouble here, but you can't keep relying on you know a couple of big hitters down the order to pull you out. They had no no right to win that game against PNG. You know, by rights, they, they should have lost that game and they would have gone away with only one win and that would have been really, really disappointing for them. But it would have reflected the the Nepal that we that we saw turn up. You know, there's a well, just on a side point, I think that kind of showed where PNG was at because they actually batted okay in that game and they still managed to you know still managed to stumble and lose you know last over thriller against Nepal who have been pretty inconsistent so I think it kind of was a testament to where PNG's heads were at in that point yeah you know I, it's really just tough to see a leader out there that's going to going to pull them through this if if you the reports are to be believed there's two camps of players that apparently there are people in camp not talking to each other and this is associate cricket you know you can't have that within a team unit especially in a, in a country that so much passion for the game and we've talked about the potential that Nepal has for as long as this podcast has existed but if this is what's happening with that potential there really needs to be a change and they've had a, a coach come back who was lauded when he was there has been the, the associate cricket whisperer in places that he's gone but I've already seen people tweeting that you know sack the coach you can't can't coach batters etc etc it's like oh. I, I get the feeling there's a little little more to it um, but on that note, I wasn't very happy to hear Pubadu talk about how Nepal does not like other associates because they don't bring their players in. I dare say that yeah, he's got a very narrow view of, of what associate teams are out there, maybe only having coach ones at the very, at the very top end. But I'm, there are many countries, you know, not just the one that I'm working at the moment, that you know, have you know, 99.9% sort of homegrown player base and trying to grow it that way. I thought it was a little, I don't know, maybe just something just came out 
the top of his head, not really thinking about it, but it was a little bit disrespectful, I thought, to talk about associate cricket, that Nepal are the only country that uh, developed all of their players. Um, <laughs> but I guess that also tells that there's a bit of frustration and he's, and he's under a bit of pressure there too. I mean, that's a thing that the Nepali fans often kind of uh, point out and, and complain about, sometimes with some justification and other times perhaps not. Perhaps, you know, e.g. in the case of the UAE where most of their new kind of talent coming through is actually locally grown. I, I, I suspect uh, Pabudu was sort of playing to the home audience there because he's certainly not above, you know, recruiting players. I remember when he was uh, still coaching the USA, guys like Kareem Agour who, who came in from, you know, careers in the West Indies and through passports and um, even Hayden Walsh Jr. who qualifies for the USA through um, the, you know, the island that he was born in, which is, is technically part of the, the USA. So I think, you know, obviously Pabudu has been around associate cricket long enough to be savvy about that sort of thing. So, yeah, as I said, I think that's more trying to play to the home audience in terms of um, you know, what the fans maybe maybe want to hear. Um, moving a little bit down the road to Oman and the academy ground in Muscat, the Women's Golf Trophy has got underway. It's, it's an interesting tournament um, that hasn't been played since 2016. It involves Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, uh, with their first outing for their women's team, and the UAE. It, it's, it's an interesting one. It, it's di- actually organized by the GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council, which is a sort of political organization uh, aimed at improving cooperation between the, the Gulf countries. So it's kind of an example of cricket diplomacy, which is something we've, we've talked about a bit more in terms of India and Pakistan and, and their neighboring countries. But, uh, you know, the fact that so many of the residents in these Gulf countries are from uh, cricket playing nations is uh, one factor that I, I think possibly is influencing this. Just sort of looking uh, on a political side uh, as a bit of a context, in 2017, Qatar was in a diplomatic crisis with a number of other Gulf countries um, and, and you know various countries, including the UAE, cut off diplomatic relations and, and there was a number of uh, accusations and uh, we, 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 <laughs> we don't need to get into that. I'm not going to pretend to be the, you know, uh, the expert in Middle Eastern politics. Um, but basically, the situation was mostly resolved last year. So it seems the tournament is um, kind of an example of relations thawing between the governments because it's run by a, a sort of government-level cooperation rather than a, a cricket organisation, which is, yeah, an interesting sort of situation. It's a good yardstick for the teams in the region uh, as we go to air. UAE are, are sitting at the top of the table with three out of three wins. Their young squad that we, we've talked about a bit towards the end of last year when they made it to the women's global qualifiers is uh, still looking promising. You know, a lot of players in that side who are you know under 20 even, um, but especially under 25. Chaya Mughal uh, is a sort of the, the old head um, of, of that team, but the rest of them, um, you know, talking about uh, Pabudu Dasanayaka's comments about, you know, teams not developing their own players, you know, all, all of... The UAE's players, except probably Mughal, you would say, are local products of the local system. You know, they've learned their cricket in the UAE. They've come through the, the local talent pathways. Um, and, you know, the UAE is reaping the results. Uh, one kind of notable uh, story from this is Bahrain's match against Saudi Arabia. Uh, Bahrain posted one for 318 
which was the first 300-plus score in T20 Internationals. And uh, Deepika Rasengika's 161 not out was the highest individual score for women in uh, T20 Internationals, surpassing Alyssa Healy. Uh, So, that's an an interesting sort of statistical note, but more on a longer-term scale, it'll be interesting to see where Saudi Arabia's women's team goes from here because that's been a a kind of um, bone of contention, I guess, or or a a criticism of them for a number of years is the fact that they, they haven't had a women's team and seems like they've they've got their act together um yeah a lot of these countries have kind of been using sport as a way to burnish their image internationally and and um you know as i said the the fact that the gcc is organizing this tournament and and it's there's kind of a diplomatic track running alongside the sports track is um yeah it's all all pretty interesting but uh it seems like a, a pretty good tournament so far um, the standard of cricket is certainly variable. The the Saudis, yeah, as as we can tell, uh, have struggled. They've lost all three matches pretty comprehensively. But uh, you know, what, what do you make of the the tournament, Tim? Well, you know, I've waxed lyrical about the UAE team for a while now. Not so much sleeping giants, but I think they're they're really there's the heir apparent behind Thailand in in Asia. And the sooner that we have a, a larger women's World Cup, the better, because we're going to see more teams like this. Um, come through i think the the increase in teams to the men's world cups should have been matched with with women's events of, of a similar size because it's holding back teams like the uae they're going to miss out on potential places that come through you know if we are going to see the men's 2020 world cup qualify scrapped for regional qualifying we, we don't know we'll wait for news on that and depending what happens with the, the women's pathways i think uae one of those teams that really looking forward to see more of but uh did i read right that in that bahrain innings there wasn't one six score that there were only there were only only fours yeah yeah only fours which i mean it's, it's kind of a <laughs> mind-boggling really to, to think mm. that you can get that many runs without hitting a single six but uh you know there you go good yeah keep it on the ground can't get out yeah, I don't know. I wonder what the highest international score is, considering it's a full international. I'm thinking across anything that's ODI, uh, T20I, Test. What the what the highest score is with uh, without any sixes scored. So that's, that's something that someone could come back to us. Maybe we'll have to yellow question at Cricket Info to see if it can if its new smart engine can can do that. But yeah, interesting to see that the University of Wollongong has a has a has a campus in Dubai with uh, one of the UAE players studying there but uh no, as you said you know the, good to see this something that transcends sort of ICC member relations that it's it's really a higher level than that and I guess the I'm not quite sure how this ties into any possibility of multi-sport games within the GCC or whether they see cricket as important enough a vehicle of of cooperation that it gets its own tournament but you think something like this growing especially if they play in men's and in women's could actually have a real uh, a real image that they could potentially sell. You know, looking at doing similar things in other regions, like golf, cricket, uh, and how it grows. And, and let's be honest, it's the life that the sport is providing, you know, families that are generally moved to work and for them to feel part of the society and, and to represent. And, you know, they end up being part of that country anyway. We sort of talk about the the problem with uh, residency versus citizenship for a lot of these countries where people can literally be born there and grow their entire lives there and, and have kids but never actually be citizens of the country but you know hopefully this is a step to really having those people feel more part of it and then and vice versa them see that well they're, they're one of us not necessarily somebody that just lives here so that's great I think it's a it's a great start and your comments about Saudi Arabia yep team that goes to 318 Interesting, we didn't see anyone making any calls on the Twitterverse to call upon the ICC to take away the <laughs> T20I status of the Saudi Arabian 
team. I think the fact that we have a Saudi Arabian women's team playing cricket tells you that there's more to it than the fact that they went for 318. Uh, the fact that they got out there and able to play, the stats don't mean anything. And you know what? Hopefully what this means is when people see Elisa Healy being dethroned, that people will, will look up Topeka uh, Rasanagika as name to find out who she is and, 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 her, and her story. And people will learn more about cricket in Bahrain and, and Saudi Arabia. So, no. Thumbs up, and the sooner we can sort of watch watch this cricket as well, the better. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the University of Wollongong campus in Dubai, which uh, Isha Oza studies at, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, but uh, you know that that goes to a, a broader issue, I think, for the UAE is that um, the fact that there are a number of foreign and, and local university options nowadays compared to you know maybe twenty years ago. I, I know Ahmed Raz has sort of commented on on this being an issue in the past. Is that a lot of the time. You know, back in the day, cricketers would need to go overseas to study, and then they, you know, they might get a job or you know get married or whatever, and and potentially not come back to the UAE. So the fact that there are more kind of local education options is actually something that could be, uh, you know, part of the reason that the UAE is able to retain talent uh, for for a bit longer now. Just quickly as well, uh, I think worth mentioning Kavisha Egodage uh, leading the runs for the UAE. She's another one of that uh, young crop that we saw. At the qualifiers, she's she's got a couple of fifties and um, has looked good. Um, the fact that UAE beat Oman pretty comfortably is good signs for them because I remember just as the pandemic was starting early 2020, the Omani women's team played against Germany and um, they they were pretty competitive. So you know, I'm just thinking if we do get to see more of those, you know, more teams playing across ICC regions, the UAE seem like they'd they'd be pretty competitive against some of the European teams as well. So good signs for them and and hopefully we uh, we get to see them do well uh in in the qualifier moving to namibia now and there's a lot of cricket going on domestically the richelieu t20 franchise tournament has started um the teams uh, <laughs> rocked up in a helicopter uh for the first match oh dear. Uh, so i'm i'm just got me wondering who the uh, namibian equivalent of alan stanford <laughs> might be uh, hopefully no one is uh <laughs> hopefully no one's scamming them like uh, like stanford um but uh Yes, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't streamed. The last two editions have been, um, so it's a bit strange because you know, presumably, we'll get to the Wolves series in a little bit. But you know, Ireland's development side is uh, in the country, and, and their matches are being streamed. So yeah, a bit bit strange because you would think they would have the equipment just lying around. So why not stream the the Richelieu stuff? I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, in the first match that was played, actually the second match scheduled because the, the first one was rained off. The King Price Kings uh, smashed three for 237 against MR24-7, uh, who only managed five for 146. But uh, and a couple of talking points from that game, uh, Heri Sneeman coming back for Namibia, or at least in, in Namibian top-level domestic cricket, smashed 84 of 47 deliveries at the top of the order for the King Price Kings. He rolled the arm over for one over, and uh, his opening partner, JP Kotzer, also looked in ominous form with 64 of 28 in that game. So, uh, a couple of names that we haven't seen for a little while. Um, Sneeman, I think, retired 2018, 2019, around then. 
he he his last matches were kind of around the start of Namibia's qualifying journey for the for the T20 World Cup, and he's one of those uh, you know the 2003 World Cup crew. So interesting to see him coming back. He runs an academy, uh, I believe, over in Valfus Bay, and I think he still plays league cricket. I, I texted our our good friend uh, Francois Erasmus because uh, I saw I saw his name on the scorecard and I sort of didn't quite believe it. Um, he said, "No, no, it's it's definitely him. He still hits it a mile." So yeah, uh, interesting to see Snayman back. Eminem signs uh, defeated BA Blasting in the next match. Stefan Bard still struggling a bit for form at the top, but Zhivago Hunewald, uh, another name uh, who retired a couple of years ago uh, due due to injury, bowling okay for BA Blasting, so that's another good sign. And uh, BA Blasting uh, beat MR 24-7 by hitting 194. In the third match that was played over the weekend, Lohan Lawrence with 62 uh, top scoring and under-19s graduate Dylan Leicher with 5 for 19 uh, for BA, BA Blasting. So, yeah, Lawrence is another one that we, we've kind of seen come and go and, and seems to be maybe back in favour. Uh, he played the last match of Namibia's tri-series uh, over in the UAE. So, um, some some names to keep an eye on um, as the, the tournament progresses. But Gerard Erasmus, a notable exception, he injured his finger in that tri-series and he's uh, recovering again. It was the same finger, but a, a different injury. So kind of a good time for Namibia. They don't have any full internationals coming for a little while. So hopefully uh, Erasmus has some time to recover. He's, it's feeling a, a little bit like... Uh Tim Payne really there with his finger injury that just would never heal. I'm just I just hope that I know you said it was a different injury to the same finger, but there's only so much of your finger that you can injure. <laughs> so you think oh, I just hope that he's okay because you'd hate to see the, his career affected by something that you know seemingly as innocuous as a as a finger. But yeah, Snyman smashing it. JP Kotzer. It's interesting seeing these people that had retired. Now I took it from Kotzer's announcement that he was retiring from all cricket for various reasons so the fact that we're seeing him back in you know as you said yourself ominous form 64 of 28 in anyone's language is is looks like the guy's hitting him well so i just wonder whether there's space in the squad for him i think uh Snyman's probably you know maybe a bridge too far though but you know you, you never know you just think that maybe that where the namibia squad is at now that they've sort of moved past that and someone like that would really need to uh prove themselves and and, and fitness wise as well but no interesting but uh, yeah it's interesting as you mentioned not streaming it after they'd done it years prior. Imagine it's only a budget thing and it's been been put elsewhere. You know, times are tough everywhere. With um, as as much as Namibia keeps signing on on new sponsors, I can't, I can't imagine. You know, it's, there's a lot of money kind of swirling around. They can sort of throw it at streaming willy nilly, which is why they've concentrated on this A series. But uh, yeah, just just worried about Erasmus. Erasmus plus finger plus injury, um, just scary. Yeah, and that A series that you mentioned, um, the. It's sort of a, it's an interesting mix of some kind of fringe players and, and a couple of senior guys. JJ Smith is skipper for the Namibia A side, and Neil Rock is captain for the Irish, the Island Wolves. Yeah, so the the two matches played so far split equally. Namibia beat the Irish in the first T20. Picky R France with three fourteen bundled out the Wolves for ninety. Namibia almost almost didn't get there. They they stumbled to four for forty one being just ahead of the DLS par score, at um, which was 40 um, at 7 over mark. Uh, and the Wolves won pretty comprehensively in the second game with, with uh, Shane Getkate hitting 54 to take them to 4 for 173. And Namibia 
never really in the chase uh, with six for 141. But um, yeah, some interesting team choices on both sides, but especially the Wolves. Peter Chase <laughs> apparently still exists. I hadn't seen him play anything related to Ireland for, for a number of years. I think the last time I saw him play for Ireland uh, was when they, they played against the Netherlands um, in that I-Cup game, and he just fed them, you know, some absolute pump, which Max O'Dowd tucked into, and, and Steph Myberg got going as well uh, against him. So, hopefully, he's uh, he's improved a bit since then. I, I don't know if he had an injury or, or something else, but, um, yeah, he was really off the radar. But, uh, yeah, Baldo K got two for two off two overs in, in that first game. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, he's back. A couple of interesting uh, selections in terms of eligibility you know, Murray Commons and Graham Hume, I'm not 100% sure if they're eligible for the full Irish squad yet. A couple of South Africans. So it seems like the the Irish setup is getting a bit of a, a preview, you know, with the talent coming through in terms of um, you know, waiting for the eligibility period to, to play out. So I, I'm not, I don't know how I feel about that in, in terms of, you know, surely you'd be selecting your best eligible players and trying to get a look at them rather than, uh, you know, counting your chickens before they hatch in a way and, and selecting not necessarily eligible players. I'm not 100% sure on who's eligible and who's not, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's a very political answer. I'm not sure I've got a position on this yet, but uh, I don't know. Is that any different to playing younger players that you're not going to pick in the first team yet, but you want to see how they go at that level? and the, Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And the, yeah, and the... The chemistry within the side and getting them to play at that level before they become eligible. But again, it just reinforces what we've been lamenting or at least been afraid of how many players are coming through that, that Irish system. You know, now that they're, no pun intended, but now that they're, they're, on an, they're on an island when it comes to, you know, their their league and not, not being able to play in, in county cricket, etc. without being overseas players. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that, that talent as it comes through. But it, again, you know, you'd like to see some, some more young Irish players as in products of the Irish system coming through. But uh, no, it's interesting, interesting to see. Well, that's just about all we have time for. Tim, you need to run to watch uh, Sharky's game, so uh, I'll let you get going. Um, <laughs> My secret shame. I don't have to tell everyone. <laughs> yeah, it is 7.56, but uh, yeah, yeah, played all right last week, and uh, we'll see how they go against the uh, merch scum next door, the uh, St. George of the Water Dragons, but it uh, doesn't, doesn't matter. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But thank you, Nicholas. Thank you for telling everyone that. Yeah, Sydney, Sydney rugby league teams. Uh, we we love we love a bit of yes, that. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> thanks as ever, Tim, for joining me, and uh, to all our listeners out there, wherever you are in the emerging cricket world, have a great day, and we'll see you soon.